0: So I know uh, this morning we're going to be thinking about choices. And I know that you are here today as preschool parents because you made a choice. You made a choice to enroll your child in our Cornerstone Preschool. And we know that you've got lots of choices of where your child can be getting their early childhood education. And we certainly appreciate the trust you've put in us, that you've made that choice. You made a choice to be here today to bring your children and to be a part of our worship service. And we are also grateful for that as well. Now one of the things I discovered when I became a parent were all the choices. I will never forget the first time that Julia and I went into uh, Babies R Us. And I just did not know there were so many strollers and diaper bags and play pens and bottles to choose from. It was overwhelming, all the choices. I just remember walking around that place just with my jaw down, just like, oh my goodness, how many different kinds of strollers do you need? You know, it's something to put the baby in and push them around, right? Uh, it's just amazing, all those choices. And I think that in our culture today, maybe we have too many choices sometimes, right? In fact, there's a, there's a thing called decision fatigue or even choice overload that psychologists talk about. Um, when I go to a restaurant, I would much rather go to a restaurant with a simple menu of, here's the things I can order from, than one of those where it's page after page after page after page, Because when it's that kind of restaurant, I usually end up just getting the same old thing I always get, right? Because that's just so much easier than trying to make a choice. What if you only had one choice to make? What if life was so simple that you only had two options to choose between? Adam and Eve lived a stress-free life in the Garden of Eden. They had very few decisions to make. There was only one kind of stroller. It was very simple. And they only had one consequential choice to make. Represented by two trees. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A simple choice. Which tree to eat from, which tree to avoid. But here's the catch. This wasn't just a one-time decision. It was a decision they had to make every moment of every day. And they had to make the right choice every single day because one wrong choice... And the consequences would be cataclysmic. Let's look together, if you would, at Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in the Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree, pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look down at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, You will certainly die. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time of worship we've enjoyed this morning. Father, we thank you for these boys and girls who lifted their voice in praise. And we pray now, God, you would help us to lift our hearts to you and to be attentive to what you would say to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, one of the things we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that we live in a world of choices and boundaries. In Genesis 1, much of God's creative work is setting boundaries, setting limits. He's separating things. He's creating an orderly world. The, the sea is separated from the land by the shore. The sky is separated from the ground by the horizon. You've got day separated from night. The sun, moon, stars, and planets give uh, guidance and separation for the days and the months and for the seasons. Birds fly in the sky. Fish swim in the water. Land animals walk on the land. Uh, apple trees produce, or Apples produce apple trees and horses give birth to horses. God put limits. He put boundaries into His world and He also gave us choice. When God created people in His image, part of that image is what we call moral agency, free will, the freedom of choice. It's a unique status and a unique responsibility that we have among all of God's creation. One commentary on Genesis put it this way, Rocks were made to roll and rivers to flow, but they were slaves to gravity. Flowers would bloom and trees would grow because of inbuilt genetic codes. Lions would roam and seagulls would fly in accordance with divinely implanted instincts. But man and woman, while subject to gravity, genetics, and instincts, we're given the uniquely enriching and challenging capability of choice our moral agency is part of what it means for us to be made in god's image the freedom and the responsibility of choice we are unique among all of the creatures and that we can choose what kind of beings that we will live that we will be we can choose what kind of lives that we will live the freedom of choice is actually necessary for us to even have a relationship with God because love and trust cannot be forced, right? Love and trust must be freely given if we are to have a relationship of love with our Creator God. And so representing that freedom to choose, God placed two special trees in the Garden of Eden, the Tree of Life and the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. Now, the Tree of Life had no restrictions. No limitations whatsoever. They could eat as freely from that tree as they could from any tree in the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was off limits. It was the only restriction. The only restriction God placed on Adam and Eve. Just imagine that. Imagine if you only had one rule to follow. Imagine how easy that would be. Only one thou shalt not. Can you imagine that? If you only had one rule to remember and follow, if there was only one law you had to avoid breaking. That was what Adam and Eve had. I want us to consider this basic choice that God wove into creation, a simple choice that's essential for what it means to be human, but also a simple choice that turned creation upside down, that introduced sin and suffering and death into God's good world, a simple choice that necessitated God's redemptive acting in history through the cross of Christ. So I want us to think about these two trees. First, let's talk about the tree of life. Adam and Eve had the entire Garden of Eden to enjoy. The the beauty, the blessings, the bounty. They literally lived in paradise and they could eat freely from any tree in the garden including the tree of life. It was accessible, it was available to them. They had a sense of purpose. They lived in peace with God and with each other and with all of creation. Work wasn't a drudgery, it was a delight for them. They experienced life exactly the way God intended it to be lived. So what was this tree of life? Well, Genesis tells us that it was only one of many trees in the garden that were delightful, that were pleasing to the eyes, that were good for food. But this tree was different. It was important. It was set apart from all the other trees. It was placed in the middle of the garden. Life was at the center of the Garden of Eden, not just because the tree was there, but because God was there. Now, I believe the tree of life was a literal tree. I don't think it's just a metaphor. I think it was a literal tree that God put in that garden, but I don't think that its fruit was magical. I don't think the fruit of that tree had any special power or abilities. I think that that tree represented what it means to partake, of the good things that God gives us. God put that tree there. He said, this is the tree of life. If you partake of it, then that means that you are agreeing with me, you are coming into a relationship with me, you are doing what I have commanded you and given you to do and to enjoy. To be near God, to be a part of the active presence of God was to have life. And there are Bible verses throughout Scripture that tell us this. Psalm 36, 9 says, "...for with you is the fountain of life..." In your light do we see light. John picks up on this in John 1 4 when he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Paul put it this way in Acts seventeen twenty eight, in him we live and move, and have our being. The tree of life represented God's presence god's blessings the inherent freedom that god created us to enjoy and i want you to notice look with me in genesis 2 uh, let's look back at verse 17 again notice god's instructions to adam he begins in verse 17 i'm sorry in verse 16 he says you are free to eat from any tree of the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil notice that god's commands begins with permission not prohibition which tells us that before God is judge and lawgiver, He's the giver of all good gifts. He begins with what they're allowed to eat. Then He tells them what they're not allowed to eat. But of course, after Adam and Eve made the wrong choice, which we'll talk about in a minute, sin entered into the human nature. And as a result, the tree of life was no longer a blessing. It was a danger. And so God banished. Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. He placed an angelic guard to keep them away from the tree of life. Now this wasn't just an act of judgment. This was an act of mercy. Look with me at Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the Tree of Life. You see, if they had access to the Tree of Life as sinners, they would live forever in a state of sin, without the penalty of death. There is no room for future redemption. There is no cross and empty tomb. There is no resurrection if they eat of that fruit of the tree of life as sinners. Life, even eternal life, lived apart from God is by definition hell. And that's what they would know. Because our sin separates us from the giver of life, the one who gives life meaning, the one who brings light and love into living. As sinners, we are born into this world, already cut off from the source of abundant and eternal life. And we're going to look at this more in the weeks to come. But I want to share some good news, a sneak preview. Because guess what? The tree of life isn't gone. It shows up again in the end. In Revelation 2.7 it says, To the one who conquers I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then at the end of Revelation in John's vision of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, he writes this, The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any fruit you see when christ returns creation will be restored and those who receive god's gift of grace through faith in jesus christ will dwell forever in his life-giving life-sustaining presence and we will be able to eat from the tree of life forever and ever adam and eve had a choice they could have chosen life They could have chosen God's continual presence and provision, His bountiful blessings without end. They could have known daily peace and joy and perfection. We have no idea how many days they lived in the Garden of Eden that way. How many days did they enjoy all of that in paradise before they sinned against God? But we do know all it took was that one wrong choice, that one moment of weakness, that one fatal decision. They rejected the tree of life and instead they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what's the deal with this tree? What is up with this tree? Again, there's nothing special about the fruit of this tree. I think it could have been any tree. God could have just said, that tree, don't eat the fruit from that tree. God could have said, you see that rock right there? Don't ever move it. Do anything you want in the garden, but don't move that rock. The point is that God put restrictions on them. God laid down a prohibition based on His sole authority to determine what is right and wrong. It could have been anything He chose. The the tree of knowledge of good and evil is what He chose. Now that word knowledge in the Hebrew can also be translated as determination. Determination. It's not just knowledge in, in your head. It has to do with your will. It has to do with this decision to, to determine something. So to eat of this tree was to reject God's definition of good and evil and to determine for themselves what was right and wrong. That's what they did. Remember in Genesis 1, God goes throughout the chapter declaring things as good. This is good. This is good. This is good. In Genesis 2, he sees Adam as alone says, This is not good. God alone has the wisdom, the knowledge, and the authority to declare what is good and what is not good. But Adam and Eve chose to usurp that authority and to take it for themselves. Remember, the prohibition wasn't restrictive. They were denied one tree out of countless trees in the garden. No, this tree's presence in the garden was a gracious reminder to them that they were created to live in obedient, dependence. On God, they were just as dependent on God as birds are in the air to fly and fish are for water to swim. Adam and Eve had a choice, and they chose poorly. You remember that scene from Indiana Jones and the Temple of, or sorry, the Last Crusade, when uh, they're looking for the Holy Grail. Remember, and Indy goes into this room and there's all these different cups, all these chalices, and. Some of them are ornate, some of them are kind of plain, and the Old Knights Templar that's there guarding them tells them that he's got to choose which of those cups is the cup that Jesus drank from at the Lord's Supper. Now, at this point, we go from history to fiction, so make sure you understand that, right? And, uh, and so the Old knight says about the choice, remember, he says, Choose, but choose wisely. For while the true grail will bring you life, the false grail will take it from you. Those are the same consequences that Adam and Eve faced in the Garden of Eden. Eat from the tree of life and live. Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and have life taken from you. And it's the same choice that God laid out for the children of Israel as they stood on the banks of the Jordan River about to enter into the Promised Land. You heard some of this in our Old Testament reading, but I want to read to you what God says through Moses to Israel. From Deuteronomy 30, this isn't on the screen. I wanted to give Micah a break. It's a lot of verses, okay? So you can turn in your Bibles or listen along. Deuteronomy 30 beginning in verse 11. This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It's not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven and get it for us and proclaim it to us that we may follow it. And it's not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea, get it for us and proclaim it to us that we may follow it. But the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commands, statutes and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God may bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow in worship to other gods and serve them. I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you're entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I've said before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him. For He is your life. And He will prolong your days as you live in the land. The Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the choice before Adam and Eve. It was the choice before the children of Israel. It's the same choice that's before each and every one of us today and every day. Will you choose to trust God's definition of what is good and evil? Or will you try to determine for yourselves what is right and wrong? Will we follow God's path or will we try to chart a course on our own without Him? Will we seek peace, purpose, and life from the giver of life or will we foolishly attempt to find those things apart from Him? We can break down this choice into four phases, four different things that happen in this series of choices that we make. I'm going to look at those very briefly. The first is the choice to trust or doubt God's Word the choice to trust or doubt God's Word. When the serpent approached Eve to tempt her to sin, kind of like Mr. J did with the the kids and Ben, uh, he asked, did God really say? Did God really say not to eat from the fruit of that tree? He simply asked a question. But in that question, he planted a seed of doubt in Eve's mind about God's Word. We face similar temptations to question God's Word today. Does the Bible really say Jesus is the only way to heaven? Does God's Word really say that apart from faith in Jesus, people will go to hell? Does the Bible really teach that sex outside of marriage and homosexual activity is actually a sin? Pick the issue. And there are people today that are going to say, does the Bible really say that? And that kind of questioning and doubting of God's Word inevitably leads to the denial of God's Word. And that's what the serpent did. He began with the question and he went to expressly contradicting what God had said. Look with me at Genesis 3. Let's look at this conversation in verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but the fruit... But about the fruit in the middle of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No. You will certainly not die, said the serpent to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When we question God's word, we end up saying things like, Isn't it all just open to interpretation? I mean, isn't it all in how you read it? I mean, doesn't the Bible have to change with the times? We face that same choice today. Will we doubt God's Word or will we trust it? Jesus explained this choice in a parable about two men who built their houses, one on the sand, and when the floodwaters came, it destroyed the house. The other built his house on solid rock, and it withstood the wind and the waves and the storm. And Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We can build our lives on the sand, or we can build our lives on the stable unchanging, trustworthy Word of God. And we can do that because of what Peter wrote when he said no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus could use God's Word to reject the temptations He faced in the wilderness. The psalmist tells us that we can hide God's Word in our heart, that we might not sin against God. God's Word is bread to our souls. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is profitable for instruction and correction and training in righteousness. And as Moses said, this Word isn't far away and hard to get to. No, it is very near to us. It is in our mouth. It is in our heart that we may follow it. Will you trust God's Word and follow it? or will you doubt it in favor of the shifting sands of modern philosophies and fads? The choice to trust or doubt God's Word. Secondly, then, the choice to be satisfied or dissatisfied with God's will. God's will. His design and desire for how we live our lives is clearly spelled out in Scripture. Scripture. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us, we've looked at this, how God, He created us to reflect His character and represent His rule and to bring further good and order and creativity out of the world that He made. Genesis 2 tells us God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to tend to it and to work the ground. And God gave them everything they needed. It says, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And God told Adam and Eve specifically that they could eat from every tree in this garden except that one off-limits tree. That was God's good and perfect and pleasing will for them. But the serpent turned Eve's focus toward that one thing that God said she couldn't have. And by his question that raised doubt in Eve's mind, he also stirred dissatisfaction in Eve's heart. She became dissatisfied with the countless other trees, with all the other good things that God had given her. Now all she could think about was that one tree that she knew was wrong. I mean, how much more like a preschooler could she be? Right? I mean, how hard is it for your preschooler to do the things you... You know, they don't want to do the things you tell them to do. And if you tell them not to do something, what are they going to do? They're going to do it. Don't touch that hot stove. ah, You know, I mean, every time. Don't hit your sister. It's the sister, right? Eve reached out, and she took the fruit from that one tree. Now, I'm sure you've seen the experiment, kind of like Ben's children's sermon. You've probably seen the experiment where they bring some kids into a room one at a time, and they'll put a cookie in front of them, and they'll say, Now, I'm going to go out here and take a phone call. Don't touch that cookie. Don't touch it. And they go out, and they come back in. And where's the cookie? Gone. Nothing but crumbs. Here, kid, here's a glass of milk to help wash down that guilty conscience. You know, I mean, it's every time they're going to do that. And we as adults aren't that different, are we? God blesses us with so many good things in our lives and we take them for granted. We neglect what is good and we search out what's unhealthy. We never seem to have enough. We always want more. This past Wednesday night we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes says these two things. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Amen. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. We always want to see more. We always want to hear more. We always want to eat more. The message of Ecclesiastes is that apart from God, everything under the sun is meaningless. Because the only true satisfaction comes from knowing and following God's will, or as Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen puts it, "Fear God and keep His commandments." This is the whole duty of man. Paul outlines it for us this way in Romans twelve two: Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Which are you choosing? The empty, unfulfilling, meaningless ways of the world, or the good and perfect and pleasing will of God. That's your choice. Third, the choice to confess or deny God's goodness. You see, now that Eve has doubted God's word and become dissatisfied with God's will, she then begins to deny God's goodness. She becomes convinced that God is holding out on her. Satan said, You'll not surely die. In fact, God knows when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like Him. Satan does the same thing today. He causes us to question God's motives, God's goodness, God's character. Uh, God's just a cosmic killjoy. Oh, He's just angry and out to get you. Or on the other end of that extreme, God's just a big old teddy bear. You know, he's just like a heavenly Santa Claus. And yeah, he's got his list of who's naughty and nice, and he checks it and everything. But let's be honest, how many kids really get coal in their stocking, no matter how bad they've been, right? There's always something there for them. And certainly God is not going to send somebody to hell, right? That's just an empty threat. But listen, when we begin to question and deny the truth of God's Word, even if you think you're being motivated by love, Even if you think it's just kindness and you're trying not to be judgmental, you are questioning God's truthfulness, honesty, justice, and ultimately you question His goodness. And the ultimate end to this line of thinking, the series of bad choices, from doubting God's Word to being dissatisfied with His will to then denying God's goodness will end up leading you to disobey His commands. And that's the final choice. The choice to obey or disobey God's commands. Now, let's look at Genesis 3, 6 and see what the man and the woman do. It says the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Now, remember, all the trees in the garden in Genesis 2, it said they were all good for food and delightful to look at. So, so far, nothing has set this tree apart except that Satan has put it in her mind. Oh, don't you want this? But she also sees that it's desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, there are a lot of ways of understanding sin, and as we look at this passage some more next week and, and, and the week after, we're going we're to look at those. But one of the most basic ways to describe sin is with one word, autonomy. Autonomy. Now, that word is made up of two Greek words. Autos, which means self, and nomos, which means law, self-law. Adam and Eve chose to live by their own law. They became a law unto themselves. And we do the same thing today. We want to decide for ourselves what is permitted and not permitted. We want to live out our own truth. You do you and I'll do me. And we disobey God's commands as we try to live by our own set of rules. But listen, it's all an elaborate deception. Because the truth of the matter is God has already settled the question of what is good and evil, right and wrong, true and false. God has already established that and any new legislation that we think we might be able to pass is already dead on arrival when it gets to God's desk. He's already vetoed it. You and I, no matter what we think of ourselves, can never overrule God's royal decrees. Autonomy. It goes against our nature. God never created us to live apart from Him. We aren't designed to find peace, purpose, and fulfillment apart from God's presence in our lives. We depend upon Him. Eleanor Roosevelt said, One's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It's expressed in the choices we make. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. She's right. Our lives are shaped by the choices and the sins, the bad choices that we make, and we are held responsible for them. We disregard God's law. We disobey His commands every single day, don't we? Paul put the dire situation we all face into words I think every one of us can relate to in Romans 7. He said, I do not understand my own actions. You ever been there? For I do not do what I want, I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, earlier in Romans 3, Paul quotes from Psalm 53 that says this None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Or as he says in that same chapter in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you, that means me. Everybody. Just as Adam and Eve experienced, Paul says that the wages of sin, the thing that we earn by our wrong choices, by our sinful choices, is death. The wages of sin is death. And since Adam and Eve... Humanity, including you and me, we have chosen this path of autonomy, of doubting God's Word, of being dissatisfied with God's will, of denying God's goodness and disobeying God's commands. We're all lawbreakers. And we all deserve eternal punishment in hell. We've already cut ourselves off from the giver of life by rejecting His goodness. And listen, hell is simply the natural destination for the trajectory of sin. If you live a godless life, you'll experience a godless eternity. We send ourselves to hell. God doesn't have to do it for us. But there's good news. There's good news today. There's another tree. There's a third tree. And it's called the cross of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to talk about this as we get closer to Easter in the weeks to come. But God was prepared for our bad choices. What Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden did not catch him off guard. Before He created the world, God knew that humanity would turn from life towards sin and death. And He had a plan already in place with another life-giving tree. Back in Romans 7, Paul makes this amazing claim after he talks about how he can't seem to do the right things. He always does the wrong things. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen? Jesus came. He was the second Adam. He came to do what the first Adam failed to do. Jesus did completely trust God's Word. Jesus, he not, only was sat, he not only was satisfied with God's will, He satisfied God's will by doing everything the Father put Him here to do. Jesus was the perfect example and demonstration of the goodness of God and Jesus obeyed every one of God's commands. Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life that you and I are incapable of living, yet He willingly died the death that you and I fully deserve. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, on the cross, God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, there is still a simple choice that's in front of every one of us today. You can keep on choosing a life of autonomy, acting like law unto yourself, Trying to figure out on your own what is right and wrong, good and bad, calling your own shots and generally making a mess of things. You can keep on that path or you can choose life. You can choose life. Jesus hung on Calvary's tree to turn death to life, to purchase your pardon, so you could come back into the garden of God's presence and love. Forgiveness is available, life is free for the taking. Joy, peace, purpose, and fulfillment are possible in Christ. But the choice is yours to make. God is speaking to you today. He says, see, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. That's what God is imploring for you today. Choose life. What choice will you make? I hope today that you will choose to trust God's Word. He loves you. He wants you to be made right with Him. Trust God's will. He doesn't desire for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Trust God's goodness. He gave His one and only Son so that you could be saved and live eternity with Him. Obey God's command. And the command is simply this. Repent and confess of your sins and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Submit your life to His Lordship and you will be saved. Listen, I know there's got to be somebody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's, there's at least one person here this morning. The trajectory of your life, no matter how good you think you might try to be, no matter what it is you might try to do to make amends or to try to earn God's favor, it'll never happen. Your trajectory right now is one that ends in an eternity separated from God. And you've got a choice to make this morning. Whether you come down this aisle or do anything this moment, you're making a choice either way. You can choose to stand where you are and keep on that trajectory to hell or you can choose to step out and come in faith this morning, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. The choice is yours to make. Will you decide today to follow Jesus? No turning back. You're going to make that choice one way or the other. Now, maybe for some of you, that's not the choice for you. You've made that choice. You're on the path to heaven. That doesn't mean you're perfect, and you're forgiven. But we still have choices to make. Maybe God is pressing something else on your heart this morning. Maybe you've made that decision to trust in Jesus, but you've never made it public. You've never been baptized. Maybe this morning God is calling you to stand proudly before this church and say, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I want to follow Him in the waters of baptism. Maybe God is calling you and your family to unite with this church, to worship and serve here. Maybe that's the choice that's before you. Maybe God is calling you into ministry this morning. Maybe God is convicting you about some sin you need to come and lay down at this altar and leave it here and walk away in the freedom of God's grace. Maybe God has pressed somebody on your heart that you know needs to hear the gospel and you've been too afraid to share it with them. Whatever God is speaking to you today, the choice is yours. Will you trust Him? Will you obey Him? Or will you deny Him by what you do in this moment? Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank You for this time together in Your Word. We thank You that You have given us the freedom, the freedom to choose You, the freedom to choose life, the freedom to dwell within Your presence and to submit our lives to You as Lord. But God, on our own, we always choose the wrong thing. In our sin, we choose to reject You. In our sin, we choose to put ourselves first. God, thank You, though, that You made another way, that there was another tree, and that through the cross of Christ we can be forgiven, we can be cleansed, we can be made right with You. And if there's anyone here today that needs to do that in this moment, I pray they would do it. They would make the choice to trust in You, to turn toward You and away from their sin. God, whatever You're pressing upon our hearts, whatever You're calling each and every one of us to make, whatever that decision is, I pray that we would decide to follow You, that we would decide to be obedient, what you're saying to us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.